a COVID vaccine? By the end of the year, Dr. Fauci believes so. Stacey Abrams dishes her takes on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And we are joined by New York Magazine's Olivia Nezzi to discuss what the heck is going on inside Trump's White House. The date, November 10th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Zach Stafford. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. All right. So time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. Dr. Anthony Fauci is back. And in a chat with Wolf Blitzer, he said that based on the preliminary good news from Pfizer, things can move quickly with a new vaccine. Right now, we know that what the company will do very likely, in fact, I'm certain they'll be doing it, is putting in soon, within the next week and a half or so, for an emergency use authorization and ultimately for ultimate approval of the vaccine, which means if that goes along smoothly, that we may have doses that we're able to give to people by the end of November, the beginning of December, probably well into December. Now, again, you have to go through the hoops of making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed about the safety and the regulatory aspects of it. But we would be giving vaccine to people very likely before the end of this year. Now, again, we cannot trust enough that this good news should be cautiously considered. Remember, the Pfizer results came from a press release, and the results still need to be peer-reviewed. But if everything holds up in the scientific community, getting a vaccine for COVID in one calendar year would be astounding. Meanwhile, Attorney General Bill Barr told the DOJ to probe election fraud claims if they exist, and most Republicans are backing this effort. President Trump is 100% within his rights to look into allegations of irregularities and weigh his legal options. I think that it is a corrupt, stolen election. We believe these people are thieves. President Trump should not concede. Keep fighting for every legal and live vote. The people you just heard in that supercut were Mitch McConnell, Newt Gingrich, and Lindsey Graham. The electors have until December 10 to verify their results, but given the option to pursue litigation, it looks like it'll come down to the wire. And finally, the Affordable Care Act is up for debate again, this time in front of the Supreme Court with Amy Coney Barrett. Here's what's at stake in today's oral arguments. The health care of millions of Americans, people with pre-existing conditions, their guaranteed access to health care, all on the line. This all stems from an effort by President Trump and the Republican Party to bring down the law in its entirety. They're asking the court to strike down the law altogether after the Republicans passed a law uh, that zeroed out, that uh, zeroed out the tax, uh, the individual mandate penalty. All eyes on Justice Amy Coney Barrett, but the betting is the court won't go as far as the president and the party. This is the third time that a challenge has been brought against the ACA, and the two previous attempts to overturn the law failed. Now, this case won't be decided until June, but should the Supremes decide to overturn the law, millions of Americans would lose their health insurance. Chief Justice Roberts and Trump appointees Brett Kavanaugh have signaled that seems unlikely and don't appear to want to strike the entire law down. There we go. That's weird good news for folks who need the ACA right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, casual health insurance, you know. During a pandemic. Just to live it's, and survive. It's kind of incredible that we are literally in the midst of a pandemic, a global pandemic, and we are fighting over should people have access to health care or not. It seems really insane. Looking back when our children, if we have children, you know, due to everything going on, they'll be like, mom and dad. What the hell are mom, dad and dad, whoever you have, <laughs> what the hell was going on? I was, I was just about to say, in this scenario, are we mom and dad? Here are your two queer parents. Your queer parents. They would be lucky. That are not together. 
they would be lucky. We would be incredible <laughs> parents together. So no, our children who are going to be superstars would be grateful. So thank you very much, kids. So one last thing that I find perpetually hilarious is that Lindsey Graham believes the presidential election should not be called by the media, but he's been completely okay with his own Senate election being called by the media. How many times can we scream hypocrisy from the rooftops? Like, how many times can we do it? It's heard by no one. No one. They're like, what is yesterday? What is two days ago? What is three years ago? They have no idea how they contradict themselves over and over and over again. And it's just, you know, I'm going to stop being mad about it, but I just can't help it today. I'm mad. (laughs) Yeah, you got to rant every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, Casey, get us up to speed on everything we need to know in the pop culture universe today. Okay, well, here's some delightful news for you. The Oscar-winning animated short Hair Love is getting the audiobook treatment, and it's narrated by none other than Blue Ivy Carter. You know, daughter of Jay-Z and Beyonce. Dreamscape presents Hair Love by Matthew A. Cherry. Narrated by Blue Ivy Carter. For those that don't know, Hair Love tells the story of a Black father attempting to do his daughter's hair for the first time, and the book is truly a gem. And in more Carter Knowles family news, Beyonce has entered into a multi-year partnership with streaming fitness platform Peloton, and the news has sent the company's stock surging. The partnership launch will be tied to homecoming celebrations at historically Black colleges and universities across the country, most of which will be largely remote this year. Students at 10 different schools will be gifted free two-year Peloton memberships. And yeah, this announcement sent the company's stock up about uh, 5%. What can Beyonce not make better? Like, is there anything? I know, I also I just love, like, of course stock would go up if she puts her name to something. Of course. This is a genuine question. I don't know. In recent history, what has she attached her name to in terms of, like, advertising like this? Like, this feels... New to me. It is new because Adidas, her line Ivy Park and Adidas is a collaboration, but that's her brand. Right. That's something she created. Yeah, Peloton is a specific brand. And what's amazing about this, Casey, is that Beyonce and myself are part of the Soul Cycle cult for years. We're both big Soul Cycle <laughs> people, but Soul Cycle uh... has not been doing very well in the pandemic, and Peloton has been doing incredible. So what I would speculate is that Beyonce has started uh... using Peloton at home. She switched. And now she's Okay, I'm glad you told me that because I think I was still so shocked about why. She, like, she clearly, like, yeah, more money is always great, but she's Beyonce, and she doesn't need to do this if she doesn't want to do it. So I was wondering why did she do this, and it sounds like because she genuinely likes cycling. Which is amazing. Yeah, she loves it. And like, she's famous for going to Soul Cycle. Michelle Obama is very famous for going to Soul Cycle. They all go to Soul Cycle in West Hollywood, wink, 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 when it's open, but everything's closed. So it makes sense that they would transition to Peloton, which is lucky wow. to have them. Wow, I love this. You know, Peloton, Casey and myself would take free memberships too. Just saying. We would, just 100%. <laughs> Okay, moving on. We all know Stacey Abrams is a busy lady, but when she's not helping lead the charge to register 800,000 new voters in Georgia, you know, extremely casual, she makes time to wade into Buffy the Vampire Slayer debates on Twitter. 
One Twitter user started a debate on the iconic WB show only to be told that Abrams is actually a huge fan. At Lisa Betsy tweeted, fun little tidbit about Stacey Abrams, she's a huge Buffy fan, before someone else chimed in that she, quote, ships Spike. Stacey herself then responded with, quote, to be fair, Angel was the right boyfriend for Buffy coming into her power. Spike was the right man to be with as she became the power. It's not the first time Abrams has brought up the show this election cycle. She actually compared new voters to activated slayers in an interview with Now This last year. One of my other favorite uh, fantasy shows is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, of course. We have a whole universe of potentials. We've got a nation of potentials, many of whom are being activated right now. This political moment has activated people who for years wanted to do more, wanted to say more, but didn't think they were ready to be called. We now know they've been called. And our job is to create the space and through Fair Fight Action and Fair Fight 2020 to create the opportunity for that potential to take root. I love this. I love how much she loves Buffy. I love how much Stacey Abrams is just a nerd from her writing her own fantasy yes. books to yes. organizing voter registration <laughs> to being a political. Like she is just nerd central and we stand a nerd. Also for us as the LGBTQ community, we are very much obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Even if you don't watch it religiously, like I've seen all of them. Casey, I don't know if you've seen all of them. I haven't seen all of them, but but like I get what you're saying because I would show up to a Buffy themed party and know what the character Characters are, you know, like I know. 100%. They are queer canon. So Stacey Abrams is also saying gay rights here. So we stand. We love. <laughs> <laughs> that is what she's That's saying. The we're, reading, we're reading between the lines and we see it clearly. Yes, the gay agenda is back, you guys, in full force. So anyway, well, when we come back, we've got Olivia Nuzzi to discuss the chaos inside the White House. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. 
but we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Welcome back. After an election that lasted a literal eternity, it seems like we have some clarity. I mean, we have a winner. We know Joe Biden will take office on January 20th, 2021. But the big question is, what happens between now and then if you have a president who refuses to concede the race? We are joined now on the phone by New York Magazine's Olivia Nezzi, whose article, The Last Gasp of Donald Trump's Legacy, gives us an unprecedented look inside the White House during the week of the election. Good afternoon, Olivia. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. All right. So in this pretty incredible article, you describe the president's state of mind as this, quote, he wants to lose. He's out of money. He worries about being arrested. He worried about being assassinated. So he seems like a man personally resigned to the loss, but he won't admit it publicly. So based on the people you've talked to, how do you see the next several weeks playing out? Yeah, so what you just quoted was actually a friend of the president's telling me that. Um, And this person who, who talks to the president regularly, this person likes the president, and so that colors what they're telling me, even though they are critical of the president. And they were telling me basically that against what we all think of Donald Trump, a man who hates losers of every ilk, that he wasn't actually embarrassed or didn't think it was shameful to lose. He thought that quitting was the bad thing. And so maybe that gives us some insight into why he wouldn't concede or why he won't concede, despite now we know everyone telling him around him to concede, um, because he just doesn't want to admit that things did not go his way, even though he knew for months. But even so, even admitting that the polls might be right, um, that showed him not winning, um, I don't think that he ever really had a plan in place or ever really thought about what that would mean for him, like logistically, <laughs> to lose. And you know, I spoke to someone close to the president a few weeks ago who told me that that he has no plans to return to Trump Tower full time. That he just wants to move back to Mar-a-Lago and kind of like play golf and not do very much, which is not that different, frankly, from what he'd been doing as president. Um, And that to the extent that he's thought about it, you know, that's what he's thought. Not that it's something we're particularly keen to do, but looking further into the state of the mind of the president, you were told that his staffers had to explain to him that actually stopping the count, as he was tweeting, would result in his loss. Does he really believe there was voter fraud? I I talk to some people who think that he does. I talk to other people who think like throughout the entire last stretch of the campaign, he wasn't trying to win. He wasn't trying to introduce crazy ideas because he thought it would help him win. He was looking for a place to lay blame for his inevitable loss. And he was just kind of throwing shit at the wall in the hopes that one of the things would sound like a plausible reason for him losing. And so I think it's probably more that than anything else. Um, And yeah, I mean, I spoke to an advisor of the president's who was on the phone with him and had to explain to him that like, stop the count. If, if he means literally stop the count, which is like the only interpretation of an all caps tweet that says stop the count um, that he would lose. And he was like, oh, well, what would you say? 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> that is incredible. That is incredible. So in the wake of all of that kind of messiness, we now have Attorney General Bill Barr, who has told prosecutors across the U.S. to pursue legal challenges if there are, quote, substantial allegations of voting irregularities. So have any of these prosecutors provided any evidence for these substantial allegations or are these just tweets again? Unless I have missed it, no. And even like at the state level, um, there have been state level officials who are Republicans who have come out to be like, this is not happening. This is embarrassing. Like, stop alleging that there's something wrong with our process that happened in Michigan. Um, unless I've missed it, I don't think that there is any legitimate claim of voter fraud. And that's like the biggest problem with these uh, legal challenges. So I, I think that the biggest problem, besides the fact that they have these absolute buffoons like Rudy Giuliani and Dave Bossy, who now has coronavirus leading the way on the legal effort, the other biggest problem is that it doesn't seem like they have any legitimate case um, in any of the states where they have attempted to make one. We also know the president's attitude toward Fox News has shifted. Here's a clip of their newsroom cutting away from press secretary Kaylee McEnany. We want every legal vote to be counted, and we want every illegal vote to whoa, be counted. Whoa, whoa. I, I just think we have to be very clear. She's charging, uh, the other side is welcoming fraud and welcoming illegal voting. Unless she has more details to back that up, I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. I want to make sure that maybe they do have something to back that up. But that's an explosive charge to make. The other side is effectively rigging and cheating. What's Fox's play here between their newsroom and opinion shows? Are the two at odds or in synchronicity? I mean, just in time for them to take a stance <laughs> like that. You know, not a, not a moment too soon, guys. Great job. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Like, I, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's obviously some divide between the quote unquote news side of Fox and the opinion side of Fox. Um, there are some legit reporters at Fox who like do their job and always have. Um, but there are way more fucking crazy people who have been propaganda artists for this administration. And I think you saw it most, or I saw it most clearly or, or most hilariously after Fox called Arizona for Joe Biden. And then on Fox, you had this like absolutely insane dynamic where the opinion hosts, like the Sean Hannity's and Tucker Carlson's of the world, um, were up there sowing doubt about the call in Arizona while, you know, they had their own, their own like news people and the guy who made the call saying in no uncertain terms that there was no doubt they were totally right. And like they were having a fight on the air. It was so strange. So, you know, I mean, Fox has been going through changes since Roger Ailes' departure and since his death. But I think they've been around much longer than Trumpism has been around. And there are a lot of people there who know that there will be life after Trump and are preparing, frankly, more than a lot of members of the Republican Party and officials in the Republican Party seem to be right now. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of life after Trump, I know in your piece, you state that you've seen an influx of sources coming forward after the election that are willing to spill a little tea. Um, so is this all coming from a place of them trying to save their own skin and find a new job and leaving the White House? Or is this personal guilt? Or are you just a good therapist these days, Olivia? <laughs> I think it's mostly the former. I, you know, I think it is totally cynical. And I just, I noticed, you know, in the weeks leading up to what everyone knew was an inevitable loss, even if they thought, oh, something crazy might happen and he might pull it off in the end. Um, I started receiving all of these texts and messages from people. And I just thought, oh, you know, how like transparent that now you're thinking, it certainly doesn't seem like legitimate guilt. It just seems like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to figure out something to do 
and I'm going to have to survive and I'm going to have to get a job and maintain relationships with the very people who I've been like shitting on publicly for years now. My main question about this influx of books that I'm sure is going to come after Trump leaves office from people trying to rationalize what they did, provide excuses for what they did. Is there going to be any appetite for that? You know, is is the public going to have any patience for someone who stayed, for someone who did not defect, who didn't tell all when they could have lost something, uh, when there's no longer anything to lose? Will anyone have patience for someone's like, you know, reputational recovery tour? And I think probably not. Even if I think even if the books are really juicy and make a lot of news, and even if they get on a bestseller list, I don't think that it's going to have the intended effect of recovering reputations. Like we've been talking about already, there's so much that points to this being a deeply dysfunctional White House. You've reported that members of White House staff exposed to COVID via Mark Meadows found out about it via media reports. Is that contributing to this sense of disloyalty out of the White House? It's the definition of an unhealthy work environment, like spiritually and literally in a health sense right now. Um, and for months, like at BuzzFeed or at New York Magazine, if we were like all working together right now physically um, and one of us came down with COVID, tested positive, and we just like didn't tell people that we had had contact with and we tried to keep it a secret and then other people got sick, we would like probably be fired, right? It was never, it's never a place that inspires loyalty, not in my experience, right? But I think that they're now after the loss and dealing with this on top of it, there definitely does seem to be more of a sense of like, fuck it. I think it's gotten worse because of this, but I think it's only really exacerbated the dynamics that were already there. It's not like suddenly people are like, oh no, I can't trust my colleagues. They could never fucking trust each other. All right, Olivia, bringing this out beyond the White House. In Georgia, you have Loeffler and Purdue jointly attacking the Republican Secretary of State just yesterday, accusing him of being basically complicit in voter fraud. And there's now reporting out there indicating that this was a move orchestrated by the president and his allies. So what's your take on this? So this it's interesting to me that this is the second time that the Trump White House and, and Team Trump has been completely consumed by Georgia. And it really speaks to the shifting dynamics in Georgia and the rapid way that Georgia is changing because of demographic changes and um, socioeconomic changes and the level of voter engagement and volunteer engagement that has been, you know, rapidly increasing beginning in 2017 even more so with Stacey Abrams and now with these two runoff elections. And I think that the Republican Party is right to focus a lot on Georgia, but obviously not right to do it the way that they're doing it, which is in a completely fucked up, possibly illegal way. Okay, Olivia, but seriously, we got to know, has anyone told you how the Four Seasons landscaping thing actually went down? There are a lot of theories. I'll put it that way. A lot of theories and... um a lot of suddenly there's a lot of opportunity for the people on state road in in philly um the uh, i'll leave you with this the porn shop guy um told me that jimmy kimmel called him about appearing on his show <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which is really just like of like of course like and you know what god bless him i hope he goes on kimmel and i hope that he sells a lot more sex toys <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking speaking of toys and like merchandise, the Four Seasons, they've started selling T-shirts, right? And sweatshirts. 
Yeah, and stickers that say "Make America Rake Again." Make America Rake Again. Wow, that is just really <laughs> and lawn, lawn and order. That was my favorite one. Oh God, <laughs> truly amazing. Well, Olivia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for something. We'll see. The world is our oyster. We will find out what happens. <laughs> and remember. Let's all work together to make America rake again. Uh, God, the, our new 2021 <laughs> slogan. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Hi, I'm Robert Sex Reese, host of the Dr. Sex Reese Show. And every episode, I listen to people talk about their sex and intimacy issues. And yes, I despise every minute of it. I yeah. mean, she, she made mistakes too, right? That's I mean, true. She, she did she, kill everyone at her wedding. But hell is real. We're all trapped here. And there's nothing any of us can do about it. So join me, won't you? Listen to the Dr. Sex Reese Show every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council.